Greetings and welcome to Worship Matters, a podcast from Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church, which is located in Music City, Nashville, Tennessee. This podcast deals with the intricacies of planning worship each week. I'm Cynthia Wilson, Worship Executive and Director of Oturgical Resources. I'm Derek Weber, Director of Preaching Ministries. I'm Diana Sanchez-Bouchong, Director of Music Ministries. During this time of transition from virtual to in-person and hybrid worship, the worship team has endeavored to provide conversations that inspire worship teams and leaders to seize this moment and realize the opportunities before the church finding ways to help those worshiping with us to re-engage and to shape the church we are becoming. It has become a cliche to speak of these unprecedented times, but churches everywhere have struggled with technology and with the issues and changes that no one anticipated. And we're still learning about the impact of all of this on attendance and corporate worship. What is clear is that there is what seems to be an overwhelming sense of grief and loss in our communities right now. For some, this is delayed grief. For those who are unable to properly mourn loved ones lost during the pandemic. For others, it is a loss of job or status of, because of a changing economy. Still others grieve a changing church, those we already have endured and those changes yet to come. Today's conversation is the second in a three-part series on grief and loss. In our last podcast, the team talked about how our worship is an opportunity for giving voice to our laments as well as our praise. The team gave some examples of ways that worship planners can create worship that is contextual and meaningful for their communities as we mourn so much loss from this past year. Today, we're going to talk with a pastor at a local church who has dealt with grief and loss, both in his community and personally. Reverend Stephen Handy is the lead pastor visionary, strategist, and partner, partnership collaborator of the gospel message of Jesus Christ at McKendry United Methodist Church in Nashville, Tennessee. He is a passionate communicator that desires to speak God's truth so people of different cultures, experiences, neighborhoods, and all of God's unique diversity can be reconciled through the unity in Jesus Christ. Stephen is a strong advocate of restorative justice, serving the poor and needy, and participating in life groups for spiritual formation and accountability. Welcome, Reverend Handy. First, I'd like to ask you, how are you doing? Well, thank you all for allowing me to be in this sacred space with you. I am honored and humbled in the same time, and that's a collision um, for opportunity. And so um, I always tell people I'm in transition, and mm. I've often heard that COVID had put people in transition. But um, I contend, if you're followers of this guy named Jesus, mm. we as a people are always in transition. Mm -hmm. So just most recently, um, I lost my baby sister, and a little over a year ago, I lost my mother. So those were two significant people in my life. And as I thought about them, as I continue to think about them, I was probably unknowingly struck with not only grief, but some trauma. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm working through that with people um, on Sunday morning. Um, this past Sunday morning, I gave people space just to be silent. Mm. And I know it was awkward for a whole lot of people mm. because we are always filling the void with something, some noise. And so my spirit in this season is trying to learn how to rest as a restorative practice for my wholeness, mm. not try to be so busy doing that I forget about my being. Yes. So that's that's how I'm doing. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh, that's uh, yeah. I think all of us can relate to what you're saying. So thinking about your church, you were uh, in the description in your biography talked about, you know, being uh, a person who loves cult- multiculturalism, restorative justice um, and, and, and has a variety of people, diverse backgrounds in your church. So how do you help them deal with their grief in this multicultural setting at McKendry? Very slowly. <laughs> because I tell people that John 4, John's gospel, helps me understand not only diversity, inclusion, but also trauma. Mm-hmm. The woman at the well, Jesus is with him. They're not supposed to be in the same space. They're not supposed to have a conversation. And they engage in this moment of transformation. And so as we have this multi-class, multiracial multicultural setting. What I am clear about is we are not a church that focuses on assimilation. We are a church that focuses on accommodation. So we accommodate the gifts and graces, the uniqueness of people versus trying to get them to be like us. So every time someone kind of comes in our community, we say, please stay unique to your being because we need you as you are, and we don't want you to become like us because we're not enough. And so as I think about the grief, and by the grace of God, we've lost no one to COVID. Wow. By the grace of God. Now, we've had some deaths, but but they've not been to COVID. Now, I've had members of our community who've lost loved ones. Mm -hmm. So what we try to help them process is, what do you remember? that brings a smile in your heart and puts a smile on your face. Because what trauma does, what grief does, what loss does, it extracts some of our being, right? Some of our humanity is taken away. And and I believe in the African spirituality piece, some of that would say that our ancestors took some of us with them, right? But they also left some of them with us. And so the beauty of that, that duality is really special. So I try to help people as I'm helping myself understand why my grief, right? I always kind of go to this second or third year of a child who gets in this, you all remember, they get in this mode of why, and they'll ask you five times why, and then you'll get frustrated and say, as my father used to say, and I said, I'd never say it because I said so. <laughs> and the beauty, you know, the beauty of the why is really causing me, calling me to go deeper in my reality. So why am I grieving? And grief is um, a, a pilgrimage, right? And I contend, and I'm not, it's not part of my background. I don't think you ever stop grieving. I think what we offer people is space to do that well in community. Mm-hmm. 
And so I would say with all of the multicultural realities in our community, our life groups have been critical in this moment. So we didn't miss a beat in terms of community because most of our folk are in life groups every week where they're not in church every Sunday. So let me say that again. They're in life groups every week and they may not be in church every Sunday. So when COVID shut us down, we didn't miss a beat in terms of community engagement. What I discovered, however, was we needed to expand who gets included because our life groups, they have to be missional. They have to disciple each other. They have to nurture each other. And there's a high level of accountability. So what matters to what I'm telling people today's culture, especially around the church and lost, is people want to belong before they have to believe. And we're saying, no, you got to believe before you belong. Mm -hmm. And so that tension for us, because we're a multicultural reality church, right, is there are different levels of how our cultures or subcultures deal with grief out of their experience, out of their lived experience. And because someone takes their time longer than others or someone who has to talk about it for 15 minutes, when we say, well, take two minutes and let's talk about it, we have to give them latitude and longitude to be more open to the movement of their cultural norm. Yes. Thank you. Wow. That's a, that's a lot. It really <laughs> a lot is. Of good stuff there. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, I really love the uh, idea of ancestral presence uh, that you alluded to a moment ago, Stephen. Uh, and if I'm, if I remember correctly, you've been in two locations. Is that still the case? Yes. Uh, and, and so one of those locations uh, happens to afford you that ancestral presence. You want you want to tell us about that? <laughs> so one of the the beauties of um, being born in in my family is, fortunately or unfortunately, I come from a, a lineage of pastors um, from both sides of my beloved family. So whether I wanted to do this or not, um, I fought it with every breath that I had because I didn't want to do this. I didn't like the model. And uh, my grandfather, when I was young, called me in his office one day. I was outside playing with my neighbors. And we were in New Orleans visiting our grandparents. And he calls me in the office. He said, you know what? It's not a bad idea to be a pastor. And I'm like seven years old. And I'm thinking, pawpaw, that's one of the kind of the language we use in Louisiana, right? Pawpaw, what are you talking about? Of course, I didn't say that because I honored his space. I said, um, can I go back outside and play, right? So he planted a seed in me that allowed me to at least start to be aware that, that God had, had put me in this place called Earth for Reason, and he wanted me to understand that reason and pay attention to that reason at a young age. So I've got these two parents that both fathers were pastors in the Methodist tradition. And on one side, my mother's side, she had uncles who were pastors. On my father's side, he had high-level intellectual sisters. So I have all this intellectualism. I have all this hood. I have all this urban core. I have all this intelligentsia. I have all this ebonics. I have all this. And you put it in a pot and you stir it up and you add the ingredients and it becomes a gumbo. <laughs> Help me, Cynthia. It becomes a gumbo of richness. And here's what I'm learning. 
because my father was a pastor. I watched him and I watched him and he became a second career pastor. Mm. I didn't want to do this. So I went into business and I realized I was on the same track as my father, which was odd because I tried to avoid him at every cost (laughs) of my journey. (laughs) I also had an uncle who was a pastor. I have an aunt who was a pastor. And so this whole dynamic of being part of a, a family that is grounded in the faith, that also understands its role as a leader, but also says, I need to be diverse. I need to be who I am, but I also need to appreciate those around me. So um, my mother's side is from France. Uh, my great-grandparents uh, migrated to America. On my father's side, there's Native American. Um, my grandmother was Cherokee. At 89 years old, she was still combing her hair that drew down her back and she could sit on her hair at 89 years of age until she had a stroke. So I have all these dynamics of clergy type, of lay type, but at the end of the day, grounded in a faith that in spite of what people told them they couldn't be, they did it anyway. And so I'm part of that fabric. So Stephen, I was sharing with the team that in our first uh, conversation around grief and loss, uh, the ways, the unique ways in which we from New Orleans uh, deal with death and burial and um, graveyards and all that gets the the the, um, the band that uh, led us to and from the graveyard, the graves on top of the ground, all those kinds of things, and uh, and I'm sure that uh, as a as a New Orleanian uh, coming through the ranks, uh, you remember. Uh, the umbrellas and the handkerchiefs and the dancing, um, walking solemnly and the uh, the drone to uh, a grave site and then dancing back. Yes. Was that a part of your experience as well? Absolutely. And we did it most recently. And I say most recently, this was pre-COVID, of course, when we lost one of our cousins. Um, unfortunately, in this season, Um, funerals for my family have become family reunions. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, we did the second line coming out of that experience of, of crying and weeping and shouting and smiling and singing and dancing. And then realizing we have a lot to be celebratory about, right? This sacred one, one of our own still lives within us. Mm-hmm. but has gone into the fullness of God's glory. So why don't we celebrate mm-hmm. with dancing and singing and storytelling? Mm-hmm. And by the way, let me not forget, we have to eat. I was going to say food. <laughs> we have to eat the food and there's always plenty. Right. And the beauty of, you know, being from Louisiana is we always had space for you at the table mm-hmm. and you could walk walk in a house and there would be nothing cooked and someone would say, I'm getting ready to prepare some red beans and rice. Yeah. You can stay here until I finish it. Or some gumbo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you name it, right? Yeah. That's the beauty of that culture. So I grew up learning and appreciating everybody. And it wasn't that I looked through a set of critical lens to say, you don't, you're not like me. You don't speak my language. Your hair texture is not the same. Your skin tone is like, you're one of God's people. And because you're one of God's people, you're one of our people. So welcome to the tribe. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and are you still um, are you still holding worship in the chapel that's named for your for your dad, Bishop Hamilton? So let me tell you what unfortunately happened to that. Uh, that location kind of shut down uh, with COVID, and so we, okay. took it, we took it online. And you all know, online is a gift. It's a digital gift, but it's not the same as being in person. So we've adapted. Um, thank you, Cynthia, for asking me this question. So we're about to relaunch okay. in the cookery on ah, Yes. Okay. We started the Fresh Expressions there about six months before COVID. And we had about 40 people upstairs, which was a max amount. But we were doing some missional engagement work. And here's what I love about that space. I study people. And so there's six generations in the life of the church today, right? They just added uh, Generation A. Um, they were born in 2012 through, the, through our time, right? So this, this idea of six generations in the body of Christ, how do we reach them? So we invited generational people to be in that space. We had a meal. Wow, really? A meal? And then we, we kind of talked about who are you, where are you from, kind of hearing your story. And then we opened up the text. And we had tables, right? Four to six people at a table. And we had facilitators at the, those tables. And we talked about Jesus. And we only focused on the four gospels. And it was a wonderful kind of appreciation of broken pieces mm -hmm. forming this wonderful mosaic. And then COVID hit. Mm. And we had to kind of pivot to online. So we're about to go back and talk to the guy. We're going to do our beta site test a week from Thursday. Okay. And 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 speaking of ancestral presence, does your does Bishop Handy's name still uh, fill the space or is well, you know, the publishing house is selling that space. And so we're trying to figure out um what, what does that mean in terms of my dad's um name? But we you know we carry that name with us and we'll we'll figure out how to honor his presence in a different way, um, mm -hmm. being more creative and innovative. Amen. But I, I appreciated um, some of your history and, and that Cynthia pulled out of you, the ancestral connection. It, it sounded in a way kind of like my family. I always talk about my mom as as the daughter, the wife, the sister and the mother of a pastor, United Methodist pastor. So so that's kind of in all of me um, as well. And my mom died and my dad then a couple years later died while I was serving in the church. Hmm. I also grew up in this family, and they had a child who died before I was born, but they didn't allow themselves to grieve publicly with that because he has he was the pastor and he he kind of had to lead the, the congregation. And so it was it was a thorn. It was a it was a, a burr under the saddle in a way that never got dealt with. And so one of the things that I've been interested in, and I'd be interested to hear your take on it, is where is that line with you as the worship leader, you as the preacher, in dealing with your own grief in a public forum, <laughs> as opposed to having to deal on your own and, and keeping it quiet? And, you know, I told stories in my preaching about my mom and dad when they died as a way of dealing with my grief. My dad, on the other hand, said, no, no, we have to kind of cover all that up. Um, and, uh, and sometimes I wonder 
where the line is, how, how we make those decisions about how we grieve publicly as a worship leader or a preacher. Yeah, Derek, thank you. I think that's a fully loaded question, by the way. <laughs> I know. Podcast to, to respond to. But I would say initially that Jesus offers this reality of redrawing lines. And so however the line was drawn from the generation before us and they handed us mm. this line, we have to say, I'm moving that line forward. I, I need to be transparent. And it's one of the words that we use here in our community is transparency. So in my preaching, I, I was not taught this in homiletics class. Actually, I was um, told, don't ever preach your own kind of well, story. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized, well, that's for you to say in my context, and I think context is critical, that people want to know I'm human. Right. And people want to know I grieve. And people want to know I've had depressive days. And people want to know if indeed when you pinch me, I say, ouch. Right. So I get to say to our community often that here's a confessional moment. Mm -hmm. I want to invite you into your confessional moment in your life group, in a small group with someone, because what we do is we hold this grief, this loss. It turns to trauma. Trauma impacts our body, our mind and our soul. And I don't know about you all, but the seminary did not teach me how to deal with any of that. The congregations that I have served didn't have a model for that. And so we do know that the body, right, the, there's a book out, the, the body keeps the score, something like mm -hmm. that. And we do know that that's true. And so I have found myself, Derek, always kind of sharing whenever I get the platform that I'm in transition. And let me check where I am today. So there's this acronym that we use called PIES. And, and PIES stands for how is your, how is your physical presence? How is your intellectual presence? How is your emotional presence? And how is your spiritual presence? And what we find is we can go through kind of a, a process because we're Methodists. There's a method to this work that people start to see that if I tell my story, we have something in common. And then they start to, to relate and walk alongside of me as I walk alongside of them. And then we become this community that is deeply grounded in truth telling and not secrets. Now, I don't know about you all, but my family has secrets to this day. Your families probably don't have any secrets. We have secrets. And every time somebody transitions, and Cynthia knows this, some of the secrets get released. Because <laughs> maybe the person who was holding that secret can't hold yeah. it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right? And so just when my sister passed, we had some secrets that came out at the dinner table, at the church, doing the repast. <laughs> thinking, this is nothing but the Spirit of God dwelling with us, saying it's time to release what you've been taught and unlearn some things. One of the things that we're trying to help our congregation do, it's time in this season to unlearn. And I know it's, it's generational, but it's not healthy, and we need to be healthy and whole. And internalizing that, we know it impacts our bodies. Mm -hmm. high blood pressure, cholesterol, you name it. We know it impacts us. But when we're able to have that space, what, what we're starting to call, and I'm working on a new project called, how do we create circles of solidarity where mm -hmm. there is space, first of all, to be who you are authentically and not be shamed by it, but to mm -hmm. affirm it. Mm -hmm. And one of, the, one of the worship services that we do here on campus is Celebrate Recovery. 
And if you've ever done that, that's that holistic space where you're not judged. You only get to speak where your behaviors have become addictive and you simply get affirmed to let others know that I'm here for you if you need. So that's it. Um, Derek, I hope I've answered some of that question. <laughs> yeah, it would, it would take another couple of days to unpack the whole thing. I, re- I realize that. Absolutely. But, but where would you direct someone, say a pastor like you, is dealing with their own grief, but also preaching week by week? Are there resources? Are there um, programs? Is Celebrate Recovery a good model? Um, what, what do you recommend for folks? Yeah, yeah so Celebrate Recovery is around um, hangups, habits, and hurts. Right. So sometimes people think it's about drug addiction or alcoholism, and, and it is, but it's also about workaholic. I'm a workaholic. Mm-hmm. So I'm there telling my truth, not as the pastor McKendry, but as a pilgrim on this journey with mm-hmm. others. So here, here's my go-to now. And, and Junius Dobson, a good friend of mine for 20 plus years, I started a small group of us and we would learn together. Uh, we would grieve together. We would laugh together. We would celebrate together. But when he transitioned, we didn't know what to do. And so we decided, well, maybe let's get together for a Zoom call. And that Zoom call has turned in a Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. to 7.30 a.m.-ish. Um, and I say ish, it's, it's according to who's leading um, our time. And there's seven of us, and we're all clergy. So you know, an hour never works. But what I've discovered in that space, and here's what I tell people. Uh, read the books you need to read. I'm an, I'm an avid reader. I read everything. But my experience, my lived experience for me is more valuable because I'm a relational being. Mm-hmm. So if I can be in this space with you. Now, there's seven of us on Zoom every morning. And here's the rhythm. It's really simple. Where have you seen God lately? What is your prayer concern? Then we do a devotional. And then we say, what do you want me to hold you accountable for? It sounds Wesleyan, doesn't it? Forgive me if it does. It sounds Wesleyan. And we're really trying to reclaim our roots and to suggest to people that, you know what? We need each other because we're better together. Contrary to what people say, how the church has behaved, we are still better together. We've got to figure out a way to allow grief to be grounded in grace and not grounded in, in pain. And to realize that grace always demands a response to our grief. We've got some some wonderful folk with us uh, on the line in the listening in on this conversation. And um, I have a feeling that they are intrigued by uh, those morsels that you all lift up every morning, Monday through Friday. Uh, Would you mind? saying them again, what what are the things that you all talk yeah, about? So number one, we always start with this idea, where have you seen God? We call it glory sightings. Okay. And, and each one of us gets to respond to that. Mm-hmm. And then we say, do you have any prayer concerns? And those are often vetted in our communities, mm-hmm. in our congregations, in our personal life, and also in the global presence of the church and the world. Mm-hmm. So we get to find out some things about each other, right? We make ourselves more human. Mm -hmm. And then from there, one of us, we have days, one of us leads a devotional time that is supposed to be, let me say that again, is supposed to be about five minutes. (laughs) 
And then we get to reflect on what we've heard. Well, sometimes, you know, as clergy, five minutes is not really five minutes. You really meant 10 to 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of leverage and lean into that because we extend grace. After that dialogue, then we say, well, between now and tomorrow, what do you want us to hold you accountable for? And so we text each other throughout the day, reminding each other of the accountability piece and letting each other know that we're praying for you. And so all this becomes this new family of mine that is deeply embedded in the love and grace of Jesus. And we we don't judge. And there's, there's never been a time that we've judged. We cry a lot. We laugh a lot. We joke a lot. But it's every morning we never get off the phone without deep levels of laughter. Okay. And, and I'm a workout junk. I'm in the gym every, every morning after that gathering. And I don't have any abs, right? None that are noticeable. But when you laugh, you remember those deep laughs that they become so deep that your stomach starts <laughs> to hurt, right? Because you realize, oh, I do have abs. I just can't see them. <laughs> I love that. Thank you so much, uh, Stephen, for uh, this time with us. We just have so enjoyed uh, talking with you. And I'm sure that those who are listening have gotten some real wisdom from the things that you have shared. Thank you for being vulnerable and allowing us to peep into your life, both in the past and even in these moments. Uh, We continue to pray for you and your ministry. And for those of you who are listening, we, we just always appreciate you joining us. We hope that you will continue to hang with us. Uh, we hope that this has been helpful to you. Remember that you can find out more information about the ministries that we are engaged in as a team at our website, which is umcdiscipleship.org. Let me say that again, umcdiscipleship.org. We want you to to write to us and tell us what you think about this conversation. Tell us what you'd love for us to talk about in the future. But until next time, we will be praying for you and for your congregation, recognizing that you are in the business of making disciples for the transformation of the world. God bless you. Thank you. Be blessed. This podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.